edition of the Fezzik Focus, XFL edition. I'm Scott Seidenberg, alongside the, the only two-time winner of the Super Contest, Mr. Steve Fezzik and A.J. Hoffman. Gentlemen. Zero Super Contests for A.J. Hoffman. Well, combined, you have two. It's true. That's, that's, that's really Pretty good. good. I I have two South Point contest wins also, but so caveat, com- yeah, asterisk, two <laughs> asterisk, asterisk. The reason I have two is because I finished in a three-way tie, two entries, and there was a three-way tie for first. So <laughs> two of your entries? Yeah, so uh, in the same year, I'm counting that as two titles, which is, yeah, that's... So combined at this table, four contest victories yeah. between the South Point and the Super Contest. Yeah. Yeah, that's. that's I came close in that last man standing, the football one. You did, and that was. And then I lost. It was a valiant effort. I've won nothing since 2009. I won five contests in 2008 and 2009, and then (sighs) I won one Leroy's Money Invitational Money Talks contest. But there was only 16 people. So I I imagine it's kind of like the poker boom. Like it's a lot tougher to win those contests now than it was, you know. 15 years ago. Yeah, but my... It's tough anyway you slice it. But I'm Fezzik, and Fezzik's the character from um, and, from Princess Bride. Fezzik's supposed to be better fighting like like lots of people That's once true. than just going one-on-one. That is true. <laughs> well, uh, Fez... Only there was the XFL Super Contest. They, well, yeah. Let's talk well, about the week. Lost, yeah, 2020. How did you... How, how'd your week go betting XFL uh, in, in general? I know... You have really killed the market. Like, that's been the, the best thing that you've done. I don't know how the results have been necessarily, but I've seen your early numbers compared to the closing numbers. You've been elite in that aspect. But let me, I'd be remiss not to say I did get killed Saturday college basketball. So let me just. Oh, me that. too. Look at us. Let me disclose that. But yeah, I was 2 and 0 in the XFL, 5 and 3 in the year, 14, 3 and 1. So, and you know what? I had great closing line value. Having said that, I got um, very fortunate to win both my plays, including Seattle minus three when Seattle trailed <laughs> and uh, Flash Gordon went deep on a um, on a fourth down yeah, play. Yeah, 65-yard touchdown to Josh Gordon on a fourth down and two. Chucked the ball up for grabs, and Gordon came down with it. It was an exciting ending at Cashman Field here in Vegas. So let's take a look at the updated XFL standings after three weeks. In the North Division, the D.C. Defenders are 3-0, undefeated. Are they the best team out of the four in that division, guys? It's hard to argue. Uh, they they look to be the most complete team uh, on that side of things. Uh, I, I think that they I think they're the team to beat in, in that in that half in that division. So you have uh, I think Fez disagrees. St. Louis is two and one. Seattle's one and two, and Vegas is zero and three. Yeah, Seattle's the team to beat. Seattle is cl- not just the be- the best team, but clearly better than DC. Now I get it. Oh, they've only won one game, so that's so that's the problem. You know, you look at the underlying stats, and Seattle just has tremendous numbers. Now it helps when you get like a freaky sixty-eight yard touchdown mm-hmm. bomb to, to end the game, but they put up over five hundred yards of offense in a wind tunnel in Vegas on Saturday. That is beyond impressive. I will say this. If Danucci keeps fumbling every third drive, <laughs> that, you know why they won this game? Because Danucci, his fumble went out of bounds. So they were able to retain possession. Yes. Did you feel, in like looking back to week one, and obviously lots changed since then, but did you feel like it wasn't a clean win for the defenders when they beat the, the Sea Dragons? Weird game. They got they were down ten, and they got that that ugly pick six that got thrown that turned the tide in the third quarter. Yes. Okay. 
So, you know, but but I'm a stat guy. I mean, overall, I'm trained to look at the stats and long term the the mistakes, the turnovers, the the funny mm-hmm. the funky bounces of the ball should even out, but maybe that's not as much the case with with quirky quarterback play here. Seattle by far has the most passing yards in the XFL, eight hundred and fifty-two. Uh, the Houston Roughnecks next at six hundred and ninety-two passing yards. Speaking of Houston, let's take a look at the South Division, where the Roughnecks are three and zero in first place. The Renegades are two and one. San Antonio one and two, and the Guardians. O and three pretty safe that that's the order it should be in or it maybe is San Antonio better than Arlington uh, how do you have these teams ranked right now I think San Antonio is better than Arlington um the again the record doesn't say that they're they're one and two and probably in line to lose another game this week at Seattle uh but San Antonio played a with the exception of a couple big plays played neck and neck with the Roughnecks and um I've come around that the Roughnecks are clearly better than them, but I'm not to where I can say Arlington and certainly not Vegas are not as good as San Antonio, in my opinion. So I have a quirky thing in my power ratings right now. I have the three worst teams all residing in the South. I've got Orlando clearly the worst team. I actually have Arlington and San Antonio both um, worse than any team in the north, so really, even yes. Vegas—that's that's interesting. Even Vegas, so you know, if I look like at, at, if I look at Arlington, their offense is averaging three point three yards per play. Is that good? No, that's not good. Um, so they have no offense whatsoever. If I look at San Antonio, they've been outgained on a, on a yards per play basis by point four. Um, so I can't get behind them. I know, I get it. They're on the one yard line. They should have covered. Given there on the one, but I, but the only reason they got to the one yard line is there was five penalties that yep. got called mm. um, to to assist them as they matriculated down the field. Um, they don't impress me either. Uh, and Houston, what's not to like? That Houston has had three home games. I don't think home field's worth very much. Maybe a point and a half at most. So you know, there's that. But um, Houston's going to get a walk into the into the semifinals where they're going to be a home favorite by six over one of these clownish teams um, in Texas. So uh, Houston looking good to make the finals. Very happy with my plus 350 Houston futures bet. They look really good. Yeah, right yeah. now uh, Houston is plus 250. They're the second favorite behind D.C., who is plus 225 to win the whole thing. You mentioned Arlington being one of the bottom teams, especially in yards per play. They have the fewest passing yards and the fewest rushing yards. And this was a team that you thought might have actually had the advantage because they have the fewest the, the, the least travel amongst all of these teams because after home games, they stay home. And then after road games, they just come home. You know, this is a good point. So as the season progresses, uh, all these Texas teams should have a fatigue advantage versus especially Seattle. Vegas and somewhat Ar- you DC, would think Arlington especially because right. it's their home stadium. That's where everyone's practicing. Yes, so they so, so every other team has to has to uh, travel eight at least eight weeks, and Arlington only has to travel five. Yes, it's interesting the way that it works out, and we'll see uh, what we're looking at here for this week's schedule. Where I, I feel like as the season progresses and there's separation between these teams, we're starting to see larger spreads. Would you agree with that, Fez? Um. I think it's to be determined okay. because, because we, 
Yes, because we had no idea who was good to start. So, sure. we, so, so week one, everybody was the three-point favorite mm-hmm. because we couldn't go past that point. Now we know Orlando is god-awful. Um, but we do have the best against the worst this week, and the and the spread on that game is only eight. So, you know, with, with Houston and Orlando. So think about this. If that spread's only eight. Up to eight and a half now. Um, that won't continue, that movement on the uh, – my – my numbers, which have been impeccable in terms of the close, you know, we're basically all these numbers are closing where I make the number. Doesn't necessarily work out that way, <laughs> but um, I only make. Um, let me see. Yeah, I only make uh, Houston a six-point favorite in this wow. game. So I'm not eager to to back Orlando and their dysfunctionality. So you saw what happened with <laughs> with the quarterbacks. With Orlando had three quarterbacks. All right. They're the kid from Florida State, Francois, mm-hmm. apparently has been delegated to the bench. Um, so Paxton Lynch has become the de facto starter because Dormandy, Normandy, um, there was an issue with a missing playbook that found its ways <laughs> into opponents' hands. This is very – did you, did you yes. see this? It reminded me of the Brady Bunch episode where Greg Brady's playbook disappears to the rival team. Well, now, let me defend him for a minute here. And I don't know anything else about the story besides the headlines that I read about, you know, Dormandy's playbook getting in the hands of an opposing team. But they're all practicing at the same place. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for some a playbook to go – in the hands of somebody else, you're all in the same stadium. I think it's much. That's a great point. I think it's much more likely that Dormandy mis his playbook went missing. All right, mm-hmm. than, than he gave it to you know. Why? I mean, think about it. why would you give your playbook I, to an opponent? Come well, I, I think I do think Marsha gave that to her boyfriend on purpose. Uh, it, like to screw Greg. Well, Greg dangled it out the the, the fake playbook out there. If you yeah. recall, and then he called. Uh, he felt so guilty that he'd given him the fake playbook that he, he called the guy and let him know. And you know that spread on that game moved dramatically based <laughs> upon that information. Bad but information. Bad it, intel. Here's my question. It, like I and I don't know. I haven't been around the XFL at least this iteration of it at all. But do these guys not have iPads? Like I don't know if that's in the Rock's budget. I mean, are they really carrying around paper playbooks? Who knows? Maybe it is a team issued iPad. Maybe like I would. I'd iPad. have to assume that they've got electronic playbooks. Like I have a question. This all these quarterbacks in every league, they've got like the little wristbands with right? the, you know with the cheat sheet. Is it that hard? That's your job. I mean, like, can you put that much information on a wristband? I guess maybe they just they, they change it up each and every week so the opponent doesn't know what they're calling. Maybe yeah. that, that that must be what it is. But I think about like when we were in school, think about everything we had to memorize for a quiz, you know? Like thousands of things. I know like my son's baseball team, they've got they've got wristbands or some of them keep them on their waist, but it's like it's for base running mostly. Uh and it's it's either sack bunt you know, squeeze oh, bunt, um, streel, a steel hit and run, and it's all three digit number combinations. Mm-hmm. And there's like six different combinations that mean the same thing. I see. So okay, now it now it's now it's becoming clear. And so what happens is the play call comes into the quarterback, uh, digital binary or digital, mm-hmm. and he translates it to yes. the players. Yes. In terms of okay, sweep right or whatever. Um, I'm going to call a little audible at the end. I do want to talk like a few minutes why every baseball game is going to go over. Okay, okay? we can do that. Yes. Oh, I have plenty of thoughts on that. I yeah. actually have uh, – well, maybe I'll save it for the Dream Pod this week, but I got some really interesting thoughts on not exactly which teams 
mm-hmm. but which type of teams that well, we should be You better for. tell me which teams because I'm, <laughs> I, I lack the – You don't type them. You don't type, type teams. To know, uh, the, only ty- the only type of teams I know are the teams that suck – and the teams that are good. Yeah, teams yeah, that suck, teams that aren't, aren't yes. sucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk more about this week. We have Houston at Orlando. It's an eight-and-a-half-point spread, total 37-and-a-half. Uh, which totals are still right around this range, Fez? They're, they're leaking up a little bit, okay? So what we're doing is we, we started out with the totals right around 37, and now we've seen a point of, of discontinuity continuity where we've still got the couple around 37. we got a couple around 41. So scoring, the feeling is – that we're bullish on optimistic on more scoring as these players get to know each other. And frankly, and we'll talk about this with Las Vegas, Las Vegas has played in a monsoon mm-hmm. and they play in a windstorm. So a bold prediction. If you play every Vegas game to go over the next seven weeks, I am pretty confident that there won't be any playoff games. I think you're going to go four and three to the over. Yes. Okay, let's move on to the Saturday night game. San Antonio at Seattle. Seattle, a four and a half point favorite, total of 40 and a half. So this game illustrates how um, they, the liquidity of the market is lacking. All right. So I'm, you know, I, I run my numbers and I got Seattle as being a five point favorite in this game. All right. I'm extremely bullish on Seattle compared to everybody else. So it opens up at three and I bet minus three at circuit, but somebody else bets it back the other way. Cause it goes right back to it's, it stays on three. All right. And I bet a limit bet. So I'm like, all right, that's a good sign. Right. Put a max bet in at circa didn't budge the market at all. So fast forward to, to, to today. And I'm like, all right, enough books, other books have put it up. It's still three. It's good to go. My numbers have been good. I'm going to give it out to my clients. I'm going to bet some more in Seattle. Not that much more. I'm going to bet some more. I'm going to release it to my clients. So I, you guys got my text. Seattle minus three was an official play. But by the time I like, and I went and checked instantaneously after I got your text, it was already three and a half. It, it didn't last long at all. It was instantaneous. It was like within 50 seconds of my release, bing, bang, bong. There are six books that had three, and they were all at three and a half. No, correct. That's not correct. Two of them were at four already. So this is a case almost like this, this cannot be just my influence. Someone is following me that is betting big and or is giving, you know, recirculating these to other people mm-hmm. because it, 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 it just bypassed three and a half. I mean, think about it. How often would you, would you ever see an NFL spread go three to four yeah. without kicking around a while at minus three late dollar 25? Yes. I mean, it doesn't happen absent, you know, injury information. But like this game alone, I talk about Seattle being so much better than some of these other teams. Well, home field's not worth very much. And Seattle's laying five. I'm sorry. Seattle's laying four and a half now against that San Antonio team. So clearly the market is in agreement right now. Or maybe I just am the market on a Monday Mm. and we'll see what it does now. (laughs) Yes. On Sunday, Arlington is at St. Louis and the Battle Hawks of St. Louis are four point favorites. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first home game? For St. Louis? It is, and we feel that St. Louis is going to have a really, really good home field advantage um, by all accounts. They had massive attendance numbers the last time the XFL rolled around. They miss football. They miss Ricky Prohl. You know, they they miss Kurt Warner. Is it Ricky Prohl's, like— Son or brother in this league? He is. He's he's phenomenal. He's like the, the like like I would pick him up as an NFL team. Um, 
But the uh, his son Austin Prohl, who plays for Seattle. Yes, um, Seattle's got some some good ball players. Um, no defense. The, <laughs> the 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 bottom line here is I I don't want to go against what's going to be a big Seattle home field advantage. Arlington cannot move the ball on offense. St. Louis is going to get their points with McCarron at quarterback. Um, I just hope they show more of Catherine Webb. But um, I could I could only lean towards St. Louis in this game. You know, you said something there. Seattle's got a ton of good playmakers, no defense. You think they're the best team in the league? No, no. Like, Houston's the best team. Oh, Seattle's, okay. Seattle's the best uh, northern team. Okay, but I mean, yeah. the, the, even the fact that like last week you thought Seattle was like, maybe as good as Houston, right? Or it was close? It was close, but I still had Houston the best team. But it it was close. I upgraded Houston. Does you know, it even more? Does yeah. that mean that like the to in your eyes? And Seattle was almost zero and three. You know, right? And so you know, the, the, but, but but like I said, they statistically they they had five hundred yards with a running clock. That's pretty damn good. Does that mean in your mind defense matters less in this league? That's a great question because in the NFL we know offense matters more than defense. Um, it seems like that week one, teams got after it with defensive pass rushes where they were ahead of the O-lines, and now it seems like the O-lines are gelling a little bit more, and so the defense doesn't matter as much, that they're not able to get the pressure that they had week one. So, you know, that is a, a big difference. Um, and the quarterback's getting more familiarity, you know, with their wide receivers. And let's face it, um, if, you, if you just have one playmaker at wide receiver – um, he has such an advantage, yeah. And he knows if he can put up big numbers as far as the incentive, that that path to the NFL is right there. You know, the, I, I'll make a bold case: like the three best wide receivers in the XFL should catch on with an NFL team, right? You can't yeah, probably. I mean, at this point, it's like at least a practice squad. At least you get an opportunity to try out. Do we I mean, know if there's rules that like hold them to a contract or something? Or I, I get, I imagine it'd be really difficult it, to. It's a feeder league, so okay, okay. So I'm sure that you know that the, the, the promotion the NFL is you know is is built in slam dunk. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, Austin Pro plays for uh, St. Louis, just mm. like his dad. So there you go. Sorry, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that. I, I I messed it up. You said it with such emphasis. I know. I, I, yeah. I was like, you know, I got to be honest. Like with these players, with these coaches, it's all a little fuzzy. <laughs> the, um, the even the nicknames, even though, and I'm watching every game. Yes. Let's go to the nightcap on Sunday. Vegas taking on DC in our nation's capital. The defenders six point favorites. The total forty and a half. Yeah, so I only made this game three and a half. But, like, this is an example. When I made it, I was like, I don't really believe that. You know, that that Vegas is just doing things that I don't like their coaching staff constantly complaining about the refs. Um, They've been snake bit with stuff going against them where they've been right there to win the games. But D.C. certainly looks like the better team. And D.C. may probably has a two-point home field advantage. It did open seven. I grabbed seven. I said, well, seven's too good. And then it got to six. And I was like, hmm. Mm, nah, nah, not going to bet it again. And now it's, you know, sitting at six. I will predict it does come down. Remember, with these totals being lower, although this total is a 40, six points is a lot of points. Well, as you said, your numbers have been pretty right on more often than not. What What's your, your power ratings make this game? So my power ratings, if I give D.C., you know, two for home field, it's four. Power okay. ratings would make it four. Um, and... You know, one thing that I'm trying to get, grasp is this whole, you know, being able to go for it fourth and 15. Does that help the underdog? I'm not so sure because we, we haven't seen it happen yet where a team tries that fourth and 15 in the fourth quarter. They they score the back door. They get within the number, 
and then they go for it that fourth and 15, and now they fail, and the other team gets the ball in field goal range and kicks a field goal to cover, you know, regardless. Um, as far as the funky distributions, I, I know someone, like, bought a half point onto the five in this league, and I was thinking to myself, if there's one point spread that doesn't matter, it's five. And the reason being, I'm thinking about this, so if you score late to go down and you're down six points, mm -hmm. you're going for three every time. All right, so you're never going to land on five. Um, if if you're down seven, I think you're going to go for three also to try to get down four. All right, I could be wrong. That would make more sense, though. And yeah. also, if it, if the if the team that's ahead scores to go up by one point, they're going to go for three to try to or two right. to go up three three points or four points. But it, but if 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 they're up um, if they go up by three, all right, they're always going to go for one because they're going to try to go up. They're going to try to go up by four, so a field goal doesn't tie them late. So you're never going to you're never going to see a team up three go for a two point conversion. That would make no. They no, might, that's a good point. They might go for a three point conversion. All right, like if there's five minutes left, but they're never going to go for a two point conversion. So five is like the deadest, the of, dead deadest of them all. Don't buy a half point onto the five. If someone's asking you to buy the half point onto the five, contact them. And, well, don't and, you think that even in a league like this? There's 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 no buying a half point off of anything because there really is no key numbers. There, I mean, three is still more important. Well, You're sure, right. Yes, but, but, yes. but with the one point, two point, three point conversions, it's you, all a, it's a matter of preference it, for these exactly. coaches. And and we're looking at the results of these games. You had one one point game. You had a couple of two point games. A couple of four point games. There was only one three point game. So it's not like there's no reason to buy a, a half. The exactly the the two is actually the one number that's going to hit more than any of them because of the funky overtime rules that they score mm. they score by twos. Yes, it's a, it's a two-point conversion shootout. So every so in three quarters of the overtime games the team's going to win by two and in the other one quarter they're going to win by four. Right? Uh -huh. it, it might be 80 more like 80%, 20%. So teams are going to win most of the time in overtime by two. Sometimes they're going to win by four. So obviously if you're scoring by twos, that's going to make it really hard to make the game land odd. Yeah. <laughs> it, I'd be it, impossible. Yes. So then maybe buy that. Never I buy. Still, I, I never buy. Never buy. But if Just anything, never buy. the key number might even be two um, in this if there, If there was one number I would really sweat, yeah. I would much rather take two and a half. Two and a half than to take two. And I, I really don't want to lay two and a half. I really, really do not. Want to lay two and a half and go to overtime and be almost drawing dead. All right. Yeah. So just a quick recap of the futures market. DC is your favorite to win the XFL bowl or whatever they're calling it. Plus 225. And DC is in first place in the North division. And that's a mistake because the North has too many good teams for DC. Their path is, is so much more difficult, whether they're going to have to play Seattle or whether they're going to play St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Houston is plus 250. They're the second favorite, and they're in first place in the South. Then it's St. Louis at plus 500. The Arlington Renegades next at plus 650. The Seattle Sea Dragons plus 750. Sounds like, Fez, you think there might be a little value on the plus 750. No, because the path is too difficult at one and two. It's like the, I, I, you're asking – I, it's very rare that I can find a team that might miss the playoffs, you know, that, that um, where, where, where there's overall value. I have to make sure that they actually get in the playoffs because the problem is the North is, other than Vegas, is loaded. So Seattle is already two games behind D.C. and without the tiebreaker. And so a game behind – if, if I asked you, Scott, 
What's the probability Seattle gets in front of St. Louis? I know we don't know what the tiebreakers are yet. Mm-hmm. By the end of the year, I'd say, you know, head to head, I would still bet that um, will Seattle make the playoffs? You know, I probably would say it's probably only like 40% mm. right off the bat. So if I, so just doing the math, even if they're pick them in the two playoff games, so 40% becomes 20% becomes 10%. Which only means ten to one is a fair market value. Yeah, they already lost to St. Louis once, um, and they'll play St. Louis a second time in Week Nine. So even if they earn the split of that, you're still going to have to win another game that St. Louis is going to have to lose. Might be a little too much to overcome over yes. the course of the season. Too bad they just can't play poor Las Vegas. Actually, Vegas is not a bad team right now. You know, Vegas is sitting, you know, winless, but they're, um, you know, they're certainly playing well enough to have won half their games. Do you think it's bad luck? Like the weather stuff is, I mean, is just has gone against them or I mean, giving up a fourth and two 65 yarder to Josh Gordon. Yeah. That's, yeah. Not, that's not weather related. That's just, that's terrible just cra- defense. That's that, you know, that's just crazy. Um, I think, um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think there's a whole lot of random noise. I could say it's bad coaching, but everyone has bad coaching. So, I mean, Wade Phillips is three and oh, he's that's not, true. He's not, I tell you what, he and McCart- well, but at least Wade Phillips is like, a. I mean, he was an NFL head coach. Like, a lot of these other guys were good football players that are now just head coaches all so of a sudden. So is Newt Rockney, but he wouldn't be a good coach right now. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, but, like, would you rather have Wade Phillips be your head coach or Terrell Buckley? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you ha- like, a guy who's been a coach seems like certainly the way you'd want to go. You know, you know, I'm trying to think of, like, a, a, a who would – you know who I'd like to have as a coach? Kurt Warner. Like, really? a guy like that. Would you yes. have Kurt Warner or, like, Bob Stoops? Well, Bob Stoops has the pedigree. He knows how to coach. Well, so know? does Wade Phillips. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, but Wade Phillips is a hundred, and Bob Stoops is like sixty, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, how I, old is Bob? Stoops? I think you'd be surprised. I'm going to pull up the difference between their ages. Wade, Wade Phillips has got to be like seventy-five. I mean, and he's and he's a true seventy-five. Stoops is sixty-two, and yeah. Wade Phillips is seventy-five. Yeah, I mean okay. that's that's that, that's a um, a significant as a guy who is about to be sixty. I can speak to. I don't think I'm going to be very good at this at 75 versus, you know, how I am now. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. I'll give it to you. But, like, well, it's a guy who's, like, a 57% coach in the NFL. Like, it's – those guys don't – they're not just sitting around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that he's – He's going for freaking one point all uh, the time. I get that. He probably needs to get involved in more in the analytics, like, like have someone else involved. Well, more, it's just it, it, it's just like someone – one of the announcers actually got this right, Scott. They're, they're saying, you know, if you're going to throw a fade to the back of the end zone, you know, and it's probably better to do it for – count two points than one point, you know. <laughs> That's true. It's like the same play. Yes. All right, Pez, before we uh, get out of here, you wanted to mention a Major League Baseball theory that you have. I think all the games are going to go over. The more the more I think about when I say all the games, I think scoring is going to go up dramatically. The more I think about this, I think it's going to really screw with the pitchers. The fact that they can only throw over twice to first base, and then it's a balk, you know, if, they, if they're not successful in the third one. The fact that they've got to, you know, that pitch clock tick, Tick. Mm-hmm. They're the ones staring at the pitch clock, right? They're the ones just said the batter's but just the, the batter has to be in the box with eight seconds though left. Right, but, but, or but else they but, get the strike called on them. But, but right. And but, they're only allowed one timeout. But one they, this is crazy. They actually get a timeout per at bat. That's ludicrous. Yes. Well, if I, Max Scherzer the other day, Max is playing chess while everyone's playing chess. I, I did see the Scherzer he, thing. He yeah. held the ball, he got into his set, 
right off, right off the bat within yeah. one, two seconds. And then he held the ball. And as the clock ticked from 20 seconds down to whatever, the batter called time. Now, Max knew that was his only timeout that he called. And so Max got ready, set. And as soon as he stepped into the box, delivered a fastball. So, so, this, so this, this, this is strong. What Scherzer the batter is doing, can't call time again. What, what Scherzer is doing is, is he's saying to himself, well, I, will, I know when I'm going to pitch. Yeah. And the, and and the and the batter doesn't. And I guess what, what we're saying, well, a pitcher could have always done that. But if he, had he done this in prior years, after three seconds, the batter's like, ah, I'm, 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 I keep stepping out. Yes. Yeah, so, so the Guy batter keeps has, calling time, and stepping out. But, but so it, I would say, if if there was a thirty second clock, I think it would be an enormous advantage for the pitcher. Tick 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 tick. I'll just wait and then I'll surprise him. But it's such a quick pitch clock. Mm-hmm. Like like you said, the batter's got to be there within eight. So the pitcher seconds, only yep. has seven seconds to deliver the pitch. I mean, it's it's not like it's an eternity where and 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 last time I checked, you know, throwing a pitch is not like snapping a ball, you know, where you can take a team by surprise. It's like you can kind of see, okay, he's starting his windup, his delivery, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to be a shock. So I and most pitchers aren't going to do what Scherzer does. I just think once I'm the batter, I'm in the box, I'm ready to go. And the pitcher's like, I'm staring at that stupid clock. Yeah. You know, it's got to be a distraction. Did you see uh, what the Red Sox did shifting on Joey Gallo? Not allowed to shift. You're not allowed to shift infielders. Okay. All the infielders must be on the dirt, and you must have two infielders on each side of second base. Yes. What the Red Sox did against Joey Gallo bring their left was fielder. <laughs> bring their left fielder into play where the second baseman would normally play on the shift. So they played without a left fielder for Joey Gallo. What's to keep Gallo from crushed from going the opposite way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. What yeah. stopped him from doing that his entire career? Fez, the go. guy can't do it. <laughs> so, so, so the, yeah. let That's me ask wild. you, let me ask you, I mean, Gallo is not, ex- I assume he's not, That's Usain the extreme Bolt. Example. I assume yeah. he's not, it was saying Bolt, but if he could just like pop a little pop fly, to the opposite field. I mean, isn't it going to run forever because the infielders are on the are on the dirt for years? It's been can't that guy lay a bunt down the third yeah. baseline and, and he can't do it. And that's the thing though, people don't understand. That makes sense though. And yeah. that's the thing that people don't understand with the shift. Also, it's like, oh, why can't they just bunt it or why can't they just hit the opposite field? Because they suck. The pitchers are also pitching to the shift. They're jamming him inside. Uh, no, no, this is bullshit. I do not believe this. And here's why. You try taking a 95-mile-an-hour fastball in on the hands to left field when you're left. Yeah, you know what? The only thing it, you can do is bring your hands it, in and pull the ball. Spoken by, by, by a guy that uppercuts for a softball league. The, um, I hate dingers. The, <laughs> the, I mean, pitchers can—you know what? If pitchers can get the fucking sacrifice bunt down with the third baseman like, like 50 feet away from them and be successful, if you're a goddamn pitcher and you can bunt, if you're a fat-ass Joey Gallo learned to fucking bunt— <laughs> Well, I'm curious to see if more teams implement that style of shifting by moving their outfielders. All it takes is getting beat one time, and then they'll stop doing it. So might take till June for that. To it might. It might. I think. Uh, but I but think they, the way you look in baseball is I think ground ball pitchers are going to be fade candidates because the ground ball pitchers that normally get outs into the shift are going to start getting some singles. Yes. Uh, hit against them. And then I think left-handed heavy teams are going to be at an advantage because they're sure. not going to hit into outs uh, a lot. I also think speed guys are going to be at an, an advantage. You know, this four and a half inches stuff, the, the, these it, fatter bases. So the base is, is going to be the first base is going to still be right on the line. First but, base but extends though, yeah, out but, another three inches. But home to first is now three inches shorter. 
Yes. So think about all the bang-bang plays that there are at first base that are yes. now going to result in batters being safe. And the same thing with guys stealing second. Correct. The same thing with four guys and going. Half, four and a half inches shorter from first to second and second to third. And six inches shorter going first to third on a single. Right? And not just six inches. Make it a foot and six inches because every player is going to get an extra foot lead because you can't throw him as many pickoff plays. Yeah. You know, so all of a sudden, throwing a guy out at third is going to be a whole lot more difficult. It sounds yes. like it's just more offense then. Yes. Yes. And I'm curious to see if the books over-adjust early on or don't adjust at all early on. I don't think they're going to adjust at all. So they're still going to post, like, the seven and a halfs and the eights and the eight and a halfs. Games are going to go nine and a half, ten. Then there might be, like, an extreme over-adjustment where they're posting ten and a halfs, and then you have to start hitting the unders. I, I really think so. Yes. All right, Fez, do we have a, uh, a week four XFL best bet before we get out of here? Sure. So uh, I just said it. If you blindly bet Vegas totals to go over, you should get the money because the, the if you look at the underlying stats that they're setting these numbers on, it is not it, these numbers are deflated based upon what they should have been if they hadn't played in these extreme weather conditions. So we're going to go Las Vegas, D.C. We're going to go over 40 and a half, and by the time you're listening to this, it probably won't be there no more, <laughs> but um, that's going to be the official play. Yes, that's what the number is as we're taping. I'm going to do something bold, and Fez, like I said, did give out his to his clients uh, Seattle minus three today, which I, I, I agree with. I couldn't get a hold of that number, but I like San Antonio now plus four and a half. Uh, I, I think that San Antonio is elite defensively. I think San Antonio sitting at one and two. You look at them and you say, oh, one and two. Ugh. Remember, they're the team that got the, the crazy comeback pulled on them by the Battle Hawks in week one. They were playing with the Texans this entire – or the, the Texans, the Roughnecks this entire game. Uh, I think they can hang with them defensively. It's a defense versus offense matchup, certainly. Uh, but I like San Antonio's defense here. They, they did get out gained 374 to 162. Yeah. Game. So that was that. I mean, that's that's some ugly numbers there. They are certainly a much better defensive team than offensive team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I, I think four and a half. I think you're getting into that that zone where I like coming back the other way. And remember, I mean, without that that play by Josh Gordon, Seattle's zero three. Sure. So like it's it's taken a miracle to keep San Antonio at one and two, and it's taken a miracle to keep the Sea Dragons from being zero and three. Well, well, think think about this. If you didn't bet Seattle minus three. Mm-hmm. Then you have to bet San Antonio plus four and a half. Yes. Because minus three plus four and a half is one. We talk about the, there are no real key numbers, but that's one fine middle. You know, that, that you're going to do very well um, because even though three isn't as, as valuable, four is more valuable in this league. We talked about the reasons why. So, uh, you know, part of that, too, when the team goes up four, they're going for three every time. Mm-hmm. That's right. So it's hard to make that three point conversion. So you stay up four, you know. Um, and, and we saw that happen w- with uh, Seattle and Vegas, you know, when they went, uh, when Seattle did go up by four after the Josh Gordon play, they did go for three and they failed. Tremendous point. Uh, you want to jump on board, Fezzik's XFL package. AJ's got best bets, college basketball, which we will talk college hoops with Fezzik on SOVAM. You want to listen to that on for Tuesday morning. Head to pregame.com and use the promo code FEZ20, F-E-Z-Z-20. It's going to get you 20% off anything you'd like at pregame.com. It's good for the next week, so you want to make sure you use it before you lose it. I believe that's the saying, right? Is it true? If you don't use it, 
You lose it? I think so. Yeah. What's this whole pedestal talk? Fez20 is the promo code. Head on over to pregame.com for AJ Hoffman and Steve Fezzik, who have a combined two super contests and two South Point victories. <laughs> I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is the Fezzik Focused XFL Edition.